Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers. And I'm Andrea Willits. Together, we're disrupting the trance of unworthiness and guiding women to reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Today's episode is all about me. And my dear partner, Monica Rogers, is going to be doing the interviewing. So please stay tuned and reveal more with us. And so today we're actually going to focus on one of my favorite women in the world. (laughs) (laughs) And my beloved partner, Andrea Willits. Hey, Andrea. Hey, Monica. Like you have a choice, right? No, I so have a choice. (laughs) You don't have a choice in this matter. You know what? This is the best no choice to have. Right? Yeah. I know. We're lucky. It really is. We are very lucky. And it's, it's actually one of the things I wanted to kind of talk to you about today was not only how our lives intersected, but just to also kind of go back and hear a little bit more about your story, which has been such, it's one of those stories that kind of like, it never gets old for me, like hearing different aspects of your story or hearing it differently years later, because as I've gotten to know you, right, or different things that come up. And it's like, gosh, just when you think you know a person so well, yeah, there's more, right? Well, it's like today, even when we were meeting with a colleague, right, for lunch, and we were sharing stories and you were sharing a story which you turned to me and said I I know you've heard this story a million times but I want to share it and I'm like no I'm riveted because every time I hear this story and when you you share it it's like the first time because there's another layer to it or there there's so much raw emotion to it so I'm completely like present to it yeah yeah you get get it Uh uh-uh it doesn't And so, yeah, so I wanted to, I kind of wanted to actually, there's many things I wanted to cover, but I wanted to start with, I'm always amazed because of your, your family, kind of like your upbringing. And I'd love for you to share with all of us just like where you grew up, how many kids, how the family was, you know, set up because it's, it's an interesting story. Well, it's a blended family, and it began with my biological parents, right, had five children, me being the youngest, and three boys, two girls. And when I was two years old, they split. My mom then married this wonderful man, my stepdad, who had three children and two daughters and a son. And he had full custody of of these kids. And so that made eight. Yeah. And then one more just kind of tied us all together, the youngest, and that's Stacy, who is uh, really such an angel for all of us, quite a character. She was born with Downs. She's a hoot, and she's a blessing, and I have so much appreciation and admiration for my parents like they did not miss a beat 
Yeah. And you really refer to your stepdad, like really became like, he was my father, your dad, your father. He raised me. Yes. Um, He, yeah, he was my primary father, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they just, they just did this amazing job bringing these nine children together under one roof. I mean, nine. Yeah. Can we just like nine? I mean, I know that's common for like, so my mom will be going on 80 and she's from a family of 11, but like it's, it's to, to have had nine or eight other siblings. It just like blows my mind. Like me raising two, you raising two. It's like, how did they do nine? I know. I I'll tell you one, one thing that they were really smart about my brothers and sisters and I have actually had a lot of conversation about mom and dad. They both have, have died and really have left this legacy and a responsibility with it of this, this relationship between all of us, the siblings, which I've often remarked on, like you guys are all so tight. Yeah, we are. We are. And, and all the relationships are very different. And yet, the bottom line is, I honestly can say without a flicker of a doubt that I could call any one of them, including Stacy, no kidding, <laughs> of I am in need of something or I'm in trouble or will you help me? And they would drop it and yeah, just come. They, yes. And I, all yeah. of us, I think, would do that for each other. I really do. And everybody in their way of helping, whatever that capacity is. Yes. Yes. So, you know, mom and dad raised us to be incredibly independent. I think that was the smartest design because there were nine kids. And so going back to your question, it's like nine kids. How did they do it? One with, you know, special needs. And when Stacy was born, yeah, mom went back and got her master's in special ed. I mean, how the hell did she do that? Yeah. You know, I was so young. The oldest was at the time I was two, Susie was 14. So what so year a was 12 this? 12-year spread, 60, 1962. 1962, your mom went back and got her master's. And well, what, Stacy was born, so it was probably 1963. And wh- what did your mom have her original degree in? I, you know, I actually, I don't even know. Okay. I don't, I don't know what, what it was. It's funny, right? But... She and then she started working in a school and really running a small school in Hartford, Connecticut for special ed, special ed. Yeah. And then the the siblings that were around, she'd have us come in and help her. Isn't that incredible? And it and I remember it. Well, I was young and I remember going in there, but it was such an education. Mm hmm. These kids and their different gifts, you know, mom would point out, you know, this kid is really has this gift of of opening locks, like undoing locks. And this one has a gift with, with music. And this one has a gift of numbers, numbers. This kid had this date thing. Yeah. Like this computer brain. And so anyway, it just, it was pretty amazing. And my parents also, I think because for both of them, they felt we have a second chance here. Mm-hmm. at a, a marriage and we're committed to all these kids and we're going to make damn sure that our marriage is is nurtured. So my parents, they were quite attached 
to each other and supportive of each other as that aligned front. And they traveled. Dad had to travel a lot. And and mom would join him. And so... And what did... It's Dad Reed, right? Yeah. What did he do for a living, for work? He was an attorney. Okay. I'm a corporate attorney for Reed and Riga in Hartford. And he loved law. He did. He loved it. And he was also president of Uniform Laws, which is a really well-respected organization and appointment. And he took it very seriously and he loved it. And so he was passionate. He was passionate about teaching other, other attorneys the, the message of speak in layman terms to serve your client. Mm. We are working for them. Meet your client where they are. Yeah. Yeah. And really speak to them in a way that they can understand and we can support them. And I love that. I love that he was known for that. Again, he, he taught law also, and he truly passionate about it. He was not an attorney that was in it. You know, there's so many attorney jokes, right? Lawyer jokes out there. But he was someone that actually really respected and loved his, his calling. Yeah. In practicing law. And he loved his clients. And quite frankly, his clients loved him. I well, remember. and what I'm always what I'm always struck with is that you speak of him so lovingly. And, you know, and, and again, like, I get it, because you were three, right? Or right around? Well, I was two when, okay. when they got Yeah, when together. your parents got Oh, when they got together. Okay, it all happened quite rapidly. Oh, yes, yes. Okay. So because you said that you were three, when Stacy was born, when Stacy was born, right? And your parents were divorced when you were officially two. divorced when you were two. Okay, so yeah, it happened quite rapidly. Quite rapidly. Yes. Quite well, rapidly. here's the here's a really wild story: is that my biological mother and father got married when my father was still at University of Virginia. Okay, and mom was working at a science lab at that point. She had graduated from Notre Dame, I want to say. And Dad Reed ended up moving into moving in with them because they had an apartment while he was finishing up at UVA. So they all knew each other. They were friends. Yes, yes. And friends with my dad Reed's first wife. My my siblings, you know, the three siblings, the three Reed siblings, their mom. So they were all friends in college. And they actually lived together in this tiny apartment, which cracks me up. Fascinating. And I'm just catching that your mom graduated from Notre Dame. Like, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And she was working in a science lab while my biological father was finishing up. So do you think she got a degree in science? Do you think that was, it was um, something in that realm? Yeah, there were probably some science in there. <laughs> we'll, I know. We'll it's find really, out. It's so interesting, right? That I don't, I don't. Well, remember recall, recently but... I was telling you that my mom kind of dropped a bomb on me about being a teacher in a preschool at some point. I was like, what? I, I never heard this before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Somewhere between being a nun and a nurse, she was a teacher. Like, okay. Right. Right. Yeah, these these it's so these things that come right? out way later, and I think it's because whenever those conversations are happening when we're children, if they're happening at all, we're not 
paying attention in that way. I think it's as we get older that we get curious at all about our parents as yeah, human beings. Exactly. Right? Like actual individuals who had a life, right, outside of us. Exactly. Yeah. So so when I I love I also love how you all are around Stacy. Because one of the things that I know is you you lost your mom now. Has it been six years? Six years already? Wow. Yeah. Wow. I know. I, I mean, it still feels like yesterday. Dad died in 92. Yeah. Mom Mom died in uh, 2013. October. Yep. Yep. Wow. Yeah. That's when you were said today, October is a big month. Yeah. You caught yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, because the other thing that really they instilled in as well, kind of in this family unit, was this care for Stacy. You know, that all of you really rally and share responsibility. And I know some more than others, right? But there's really like this tenderness and awareness around her needs at all times. Yes. And the other thing they did so well was, you know, because when Stacy was born, that was at a time when doctors would say, you know, institutionalize. You may, you may want to consider, right? Oh. Like mom and dad were like, uh, no. Unbelievable. Like that wasn't even a glimmer yeah. of a possibility. And Stacy is extremely independent. You is know, she Stacey, ever. Right? And uh, she's done the Revelation Project, which I she loves love to boast girl. about. One of the things that mom and dad really drilled into all of us, which is allow her to do things on her own. Do yeah, not she's her own person. coddle her. Like, yes, Stacy, put your dishes in the dishwasher. Yes. You know, yes, Stacy, pick up after yourself. Yes, Stacy, you can do that. Well, none of us want to do it, Stacy, but you're going to participate in this family as well. Yeah. So and she gives you guys what for anyway. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Doesn't she? She hates to be told what to do. And and like, who doesn't, though? Yeah, totally. I think, right? I think the, the thing that I really have learned and loved about meeting Stacy and being kind of exposed in a much deeper way to the the Downs community, just through everything that you've told me and, you know, being with her and witnessing her and, you know, paying attention in a much different way, I think, is just really... Just seeing not only how you guys are with her, but how she's got so much personality and just you guys just give her so much space to be who she is. And she's so self-expressed and and that's part of it, you know, right? I know. she. It's like she's leagues ahead of me in what she dares to say and and want you know one of the beautiful things about Stacy is every day is like her birthday yeah if it could be or if not her birthday we're, we're building on Christmas yeah so Stacy loves celebration and that's a very common in the lives of Downs is they really get bragging rights they we do talk about bragging rights they do like Oh, yeah. You know, I wore the greatest outfit the other day and I danced. It was awesome. Yeah. She's just like, and I am really, really good at dancing. Like, the best toast ever. Like they it's just unabashed, just gushing about their their wonderfulness, their wonderfulness, their 
there. Yeah. Effort, it's so true. You know, yeah. that, that also stands out as just really being this charming. It's so... It's joy. And there's something really enchanting about listening to her and how she and how she loves the people she loves and is so self-expressed about that, too. That's right. Yeah. And so, right, she'll, you know, my sisters and I always joke because when you're on Stacy's shit list. Oh, yeah. You I've seen it. you be on her shit list. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, because she would just love you up and then I would just be, you know. You guys, she loves me. <laughs> It would be bothersome. I'd be in the way. Yeah. Of, right? of us. Yeah. Yeah. Right. She'd be like, exactly. I'm, yeah. yeah. Like, done with I'm you. just second fiddle. Yeah. Right. So the other thing that, that she's great at is also saying, I want this. Yeah. I want this. I want that. I want a new dress. Yes, we must get new shoes. I, right. Like asking for what she wants. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's just a little again, bit of diva. Very much so. Yeah, like, and I and I say diva with, with actually admiration, right? Right, because diva is kind of a it's that part of us that knows that we're a rock star. Yeah, right. Megan Joe Wilson actually taught me that. Yeah, that, that piece of the diva and being connected to the divine and that being kind of that short version of it, right? And it's like not out of a wanting to order anybody around, but about actually self-serving and like knowing what you want and yes. being very clear about it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Stacey's well, Stacy is a diva. Yeah, she, absolutely. And and she she's teaching us how to follow in her footsteps. She really does. And. And the other thing that Stacy has taught me and continues to teach me, and I have to say, this piece for me personally, the way Stacy has been my teacher, really did not begin to sink in is loving well. And and what I mean by that is for years for me with Stacy, I mean I've always been incredibly proud of her, love her, ferociously protective of her. And yet, I don't think it's been really until my 40s, even my early 40s, that I started to understand what truly being patient for being patient for the love that comes through Stacy and reaping the benefit of that versus I would be patient in the past from a place of, okay, Stacy, great. Like, let's get on with it. Give me an example. Yeah. I'm having a really hard time trying to explain this. And so one of the things with Stacy in her own processing and in her stubbornness and where she would get difficult in being very attached to a certain outcome, I would take the stance of wrestling with her or needing to convince her and trying to be patient and patient yet still holding my agenda yes to where stacy needed to be a with, certain way yes well, or make a certain decision and get right, her there or get her there yes and so i would spend a good part of my time with her maybe half frustrated ah 
And yet I would constantly really witness my sister Susie, who's the oldest in the family. And Susie has this wisdom and this grace that can just, it moves me every time I really think about her. It's so deep. And she just gets Stacy and always has. And I think has been for me a great model. We talk about modeling all the time yeah. of what's possible. And so I just kept paying attention because I could see that she was getting something. She was getting something from Stacy, not just giving Stacy something, but getting something that gave her so much delight and peace and love what was it it was just love it was it was this joy in this pure unconditional love like so it really took me a while to get there but I would say it was in my 40s I was spending more and more time with Stacy because of mom not being is in close proximity to Stacy and me living one of the siblings that lives closer to Stacy. So I was investing more time. And I started just practicing experimenting different ways of being with my sister. And instead of pushing my agenda, or being that older sister and needing to tell her, what she should do, I started having that more open-handed place of space and patience. And what started coming back by me doing that is this, this love. Mm. She is a lover. She is a lover. And to be loved up by Stacy. Oh, I know. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And and it's it's precious. There my mom used to use that word. Come here, precious. Or yes, that's very precious. And mm-hmm. and I it really is true with Stacy, quick little Stacy story around where it really started to shift, and this was actually when I was closer to fifty, she came to my house for Christmas and it was no, actually, it was in probably the first, it was six years ago. So it was the first Christmas without mom. Okay. And Stacy was with me, and we were putting up the Christmas tree, which was a big mom-to-do thing. Mom was the mother of Christmas. Mm. And I was putting things on the tree, and Stacy was helping. It was just the two of us, actually. And I got very emotional. And all of a sudden, I just sat down, and... Stacy tuned right in and she came over and she put her arm around me mm-hmm. and she was just rubbing my shoulder and she said, I think I need to stay another day because she Aww. was supposed to leave. I was supposed to get her back up to Hartford. And she said, it's going to be all right. I think we just need to be together. And it was so oh touching. And it was like, I started to, so get more it. and more of that started happening because I wasn't just being her older protective sister and needing to get oh she wanted to give to you too i exactly so the more spacious we get with stacy and not all of us get that no i get it yeah you know but man when it starts to happen 
it's like you want to be around her more and more. Like you suddenly really wake up to the the gift, the love, the magic of being around someone that has no filter and just loves for the glory of loving and is and literally can tune right into that like and see you yes and it's giving that space it's spaciousness yeah so i mean precious that's what always comes up for me and so when she can get difficult and get stubborn and dig in when my initial reaction wants to be to be frustrated get it well to like get her like put the big sister like stance on in this tighter white knuckled way of trying to get her to acquiesce or you know be more cooperative whatever it's like no this is where it feels so counterintuitive but it's like step back mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just let it rest for a minute let her re- like step back and it oh my god it is served so much better Well, and what I love about what you're pointing to, which is so fascinating, because again, like, here we go saying, like, after all these years of knowing you, and to learn, actually, because we were talking about modeling, and like, you've been such a teacher for me. And what you've modeled for me is actually loving yourself well, right? Like, you've been for me, the voice Hmm. of how to like, you were my portal into like, seeing how you loved yourself. And how and what that looked like. It was like (sighs) trying to like think back, right, to all of the ways in which you would take me off guard because you didn't kind of do that kind of self-flagellating that so many women kind of like end up gravitating towards each other because we nobody has anything good to say about themselves, right? Like, yeah. and that's what kind of bonds us. You know, it's like, I'm so fat, I'm so ugly, I'm so this, I'm so that, you know, I'm such a dummy, I'm so, you know, and it was like, it was, you would just be like, Monica, whoa, gentle, mm. easy, right? And so it's so interesting because I'm hearing you say that Stacy was that person for you in a lot of ways. And what I'm hearing is that, because how she shows up is like in this fully self-expressed way and she's so celebratory in herself yeah that like she's her own biggest cheerleader and that she's so present that there's not like this constant distraction and yes it's true you don't see her self-flagellate or go into some deep dark self-victim place she doesn't wallow in yeah. in this unless she does well unless she does very yes. strategic by the way well and, and as but long as there's strategy funny? right it's like stacy why did you take the money out of the tip jar at the restaurant i'm kind of calling her out here right and she was like well i needed it and it was there yeah. And, and, you know, I needed these things and I needed the food and like, why wouldn't I take it? Yeah. You know, I needed it. Right. Yes. <laughs> like, and, and, and here's the other card Stacy plays, which is along these lines and unless she chooses to, which is, Hey Stace, you know, that just wasn't cool the way you were treating that staff member. And she'd be like, well, you know, I, I have downs. <laughs> 
and and I'm like, Stacy, like, oh no, you do not get to play that card, oh God, right? She's awesome. like so smart and manipulative, right? And we're like, yeah, well, okay, that's not going to fly. And mom would, you know, call her out on that stuff all day. And the other thing is I used to call him like, you're such a down snob. Yeah. You know, because, <laughs> she'd be in a gr- her group home and say, you know, he's this and she's that. And I, I, they're driving me crazy. Yeah, I'm not going to that right? party. And uh-uh. I'm like, well, Stacy, you know actually the, the this is your part of your tribe they're your family exclusive downs a, community right? of one and, yeah and actually not everybody in group home has downs right and so but yet because she was raised in in a home where we did really support her and help her in being highly functional okay mm-hmm. she's highly highly trainable functional Therefore, it would be a struggle for her if she was around other housemates that weren't as high functioning. Right. And had deeper struggles and challenges. Right. And so one of the things is that we were always working on is for her to be more tolerant and walk away. Yeah. Versus stand there and criticize or and have her agenda. Exactly. Yeah. Walk yeah. Away Fascinating. Give her that permission. But yeah, she's a trip. I mean, yeah. she knows how to work a system like, like none other. Right. So great. So great. Yeah. So back to this, you know, kind of her being a teacher for you, you being a teacher for me. And, and really what I'm hearing in kind of getting revealed in this conversation is this, this modeling. Yes. That we often do for each other and that there's something about modeling that's actually at the heart uh, what we're finding in the revelation project is at the heart of what one of the things that we do for women and as someone who was so filled with her own self-loathing even still when I met you right but very still was very still kind of unconscious to the depth of it. It was literally like I had revealed the peak or the iceberg of it kind of in my eight months of, you know, depression and kind of coming to that realization of like, wow, my whole life has been built on this steady diet of Mm -hmm. negative self-talk and loathing and really starting to pay attention to how you kept showing up in my life. And of course, I'll let you just tell the story too, because, you know, it's funny when we do talk like this, I always kind of think like, wow, I, I want to hear this story again, because I'm in such a different place too. So, And we, we haven't talked about it for such a long time, but you recently went through our foundational workshop again for the second time. And you initially went through it shortly after we met. Yeah, it was nine years ago. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Because I did it when I was 50, and I'm I'm 59. Isn't that wild? That is wild. Because I was going back and look, reading my interview from the first time, and it was like, yeah, I was 50 years old. Which is so interesting, because timing for me these days is I know. just, it just flies. It I does. just I can't get my head around it. And so really you know, the project itself or like when, you know, I must have been out of bed for by the time I met you, right? It's like, so funny, because there's like, 
You were out before of Before Christ, after Christ. It was like before, yeah. about, after, bad. I was out of bed, but I was still really fragile. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, if I may. Yeah, yeah. You carte blanche. You know, what I was witnessing, I remember meeting you for the very first time. And you were you were out of bed and you were delightful. You were very generous because I was visiting your home with another friend. I was intrigued, very intrigued by you. And, and I felt, I was like, she's a little powerhouse. I remember thinking to myself, you know, and then the second time we met was when I wanted to do the revelation project and actually participate because again, I had been tuned into what you were doing and had seen a friend's images and was like, wow, this is so aligned with the work that I'm doing with women, you know, with the whole sorry, no more. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you and I finally got together actually, well, and before the photo shoot, cause I think simultaneously you had learned that I was able to help you with like branding, branding messaging. Well, that's right. And yeah. That's what I was going to say is we got together to talk about where I was looking to hire you to rebrand myself and do this photo shoot. And then we started talking about TRP and you started sharing some of your story. And this is what came through in this visit for me was she doesn't know what she knows. She knows a hell of a lot but she doesn't know it right now. It was kind of like you were coming out of a, like recovering from a shock. Yeah, like post Like shock waves stress. were, yeah, still coming through you. And I remember you weren't able to give yourself any credit for anything. It was like you had no compass. You know, we talk about a compass a lot. Oh my gosh. And and I, I really recognize that. I yeah. had no, it was like a spinning. Yeah. Like yeah. there was just no sense of direction. Yeah. None. Yeah. But you could, this is where though I was like, she is smart as a whip because I remember I never had someone sit down with me and for me to literally like regurgitate all of the things that I want to be doing like all of my different creative desires and how to take the coaching and how to take sorry no more and how to take leadership and how to take, you know, a, a training, like all of that. And then my design work, right? Remember? All, yes. And, and you were sketching it out because I'm visual and so are you. I mean, that's when our, we were starting to fall in love. Yeah. You know, in that like, wow, there's so much synergy. We speak the same language. Yes. Yeah. We yes. were really like, yes. And so I remember you charting this out for me really. And I was like, so you're saying that that we can harness all this under one umbrella, like, and you're like, well, it's who you are. Of course we can. How could we not? And I remember just feeling air like, oh, wow. Because so many other people would be like, no, you, you have to find your niche. You have to hone this down. You can't do all of this. It's all. And you never once said to me, you can't. So then you had my attention because, oh, this is someone that like, goes big like I do like don't try to 
make me small or make me give up something. I'm just not willing. I'm just right. Yeah. So I was really encouraged and just excited by that. And then we kept talking and I, you know, you're sharing more of your story and what you were coming out of. And (laughs) well, what was so funny too, was then I think the following week you did the project Mm -hmm. because because it was kind of like I was working with you professionally and you were you decided to also kind of simultaneously do the revelation project because you had seen, you know, our friends images. And I remember you coming back to meet me again for another meeting on branding. And that's when you had seen your images and came back to me with a totally different request. Yeah. And I was like, like, oh my gosh, seriously, like, I have to be a part of this. Like, this is amazing. I was a like, a part of what for our listeners? A part of like, what had you experienced of the revelation project where you're witnessing women, you're creating a platform where they are getting to express and be held by other sisters and be loved up and be witnessed and be invited and being dressed. Yeah. And so, and for our listeners, so what we do in our foundational workshop, which we still offer is, and this was where you helped me connect some dots. And I, and I, I don't want to make this about me. So I, I just want to segue into yeah, this please. one piece because yeah. I really do want to keep coming back to what was coming up for you and kind of this story about not only how you got involved in the Revelation Project, but also just more about Sorry No More and leadership and just how you became who you are because you're endlessly fascinating and you are this woman for so many women. It's like I've never seen it's like you are the this voice for so many women. Not only have you impacted me in this way of like being the model, but for so many women who have kind of either just been in the training ground, lost along the way, lost their voice, their compass, their ability to really navigate who they are, and you bring them back home to themselves. Mm-hmm. And what's so fascinating is what I'm hearing is that the Revelation Project did an aspect of that for you too, in terms of witnessing you, seeing you. So again, for our listeners, this piece of the Revelation Project that I had only really done for maybe, God, off and on for maybe 18 months before I had met Andrea, it was very kind of touch and go, was this this portrait workshop where we had somebody who had a camera, right, a photographer, and I would do hair and makeup. And, you know, sometimes there would be an assistant, an assistant. And we would greet a participant who would come at nine o'clock in the morning, get their hair and makeup done. We'd sit, we'd learn about you, we'd interview you. And then we would actually do a photo shoot that was a good couple of hours. We would, you know, start to really help you, you know, just be in your body, right? Really are... And at that point, Kim was your photographer. Mm-hmm. Kim was my partner. And, you know, at, at that moment. 
And I think for you, like I remember so much joy in your photo so shoot. So much joy. You were tender. There was like, uh, it's so funny because I look back at your photos and then having known you over the years and I'm like, yeah, that was a really big thing for you. Really big thing, which is why it, it really lit me up because, you know, here's the other thing. So I had come out of CTI, Coaches Training Institute, having gone through the curriculum for the coaching, gotten certified, as well as then jumped into Center for Right Relationship, which is coaching systems, right? Orsk. More, right? Organization relationship systems coaching and did some of that training and then leaped into leadership, all of that. And it was all was ignited by a divorce. Yay, divorce. Mm-hmm. Like, no kidding. Divorce, painful, hurtful, not what we want. And it can also be the greatest gift and catalyst for more if it's been, if it's complete. Well, and I think what you're pointing to is yes, divorce, but it's really like, yay, dark night of the soul, because this is where, (laughs) right? This is what we talk about is kind of like these disguised gifts. Like we think it's the end, right? It ends up actually really being a beginning, a beginning and, and and, right. A beginning and an unveiling, right? It's like unveiling. I had so many like of these veils had dropped on top of me in the 10 years that I had been married and a lot of joy there. But honestly, I call it de-selfing, which is that de-self is when I kept giving parts of myself away. I was a codependent addict and I was a people pleaser, an apology addict. I mean, and, and often, and this is something we recognize for a, for a lot of women is true that like, there's like this, almost like there's no boundary between us and the other person. It's like the giving, we're so good at giving and we're so shitty at receiving. Yeah. And in order to really get the whole, like the whole of us, like the, that actually like the receiving piece is, there's so much wisdom there. So much. And so... The Revelation Project was like, not only you were receiving. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah. So, I mean, fast forward, right, from all this training. And there's a reason why I'm bringing it up, because the training ground of CTI, such a gift. Okay, I'm just going to put a feather in their cap. Brilliant, brilliant company, organization, training. I am a big fan. And it was my healing work through those trainings. So I, I, you know, I got a lot, you know, a bang for my buck in that it was my healing uh, platform and it was my training platform for the mm-hmm, work. Mm-hmm. I've always had a calling since actually a very, very young girl, always had a calling to serve people, to be about people's stories and their hearts. Always. Always. It's always been with me. And so, you know, here's the another disguised gift of coming out of my marriage. I was so hungry for real talk, deep connection. I was very, very lonely coming out of my marriage and starving for that connection. So yeah, I was all in. 
So interestingly enough, coming out of a very rigorous two years of all this training, right, I land in this next project, right, this another training, so to speak, right, in the Revelation project. And I was so lit up because it was so cathartic and moving and revealing and in line with what I was doing with women, with Sorry No More. And here's, here's the other cool piece is that you've heard me say this, both you and Kim heard me say it so many times, is you are such a gift because my community, my tribe coming out of CTI and leadership was global, but it was all through the computer. It was all digital. In, I was living in North Stonington, Connecticut, and my people, and I, we were trying to get stuff off the ground, you know, built a company in, in, in Canada and my partners, you know, there and then trying to do other leadership trainings with people all over. And it was really wearing thin. It was wearing me down and I was needing human contact, honestly. So when I did that revelation project, I was like, oh, you are, you are stuck with me. If you'll have me. <laughs> yeah. And that was when I said to you, if you'll have me, like I will volunteer. Like I have to be a part of this. I have something to offer you. Like something's here that is so synchronistic. Like, and what I was know my it. reaction, Andrea? Y you were like, yeah, great. <laughs> Great. I have nothing to give you, right. but I'm not even sure I want to do this. Right. And I'm not like, sure I like women. Right. I do you know. remember you kept, that? Oh, yeah. Well, you kept saying that. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm not. That's not acceptable. Well, this was the piece, <laughs> though, that's so fascinating to me was because I still was so disconnected and the Revelation Project had really shown up in my life and been revealing things to me. Right. Right. We talk about it like it's this it's an entity in itself because it is like it, the way that it showed up in my life it has was a life magical. of its own. It's got a spiritual aspect yeah. to it. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind. I hold it with complete and utter reverence and wonder because it's just, I can't make some of this stuff up. And I think that obviously you were feeling that magic as well, but that for me, when I met you, there was also this sense of like, I don't even know what this is. No, you were exhausted, quite frankly, and you weren't trusting yourself and you weren't trusting women. So it was like, yeah, come on board, but I can't, there's no guarantees here. And this is the other thing you were saying. Yeah, you were saying, I don't like women. And, and you laughed. Yeah. You laughed so hard. I was yeah. like, no, really, I hate people. Uh-huh. And women, women just scare me. Yeah. And I, do, I don't know why I'm even doing this. Right, right. And that's when you, here was a big thing for me. You got curious. And, you know, it's so, it's so interesting because we're so terrible just as a collective humanity at getting curious around people and going deeper with them. And yet I was starving for it. Yeah. I was starving for it. I mean, part of the biggest issue that I had been having was living in this pretty picture that was all surface level mm -hmm. and there was no depth to it. And really having you actually start to get curious about why I was saying what I was saying and what my connection was to imagery 
at all. I know because you with. kept saying I don't, I don't even know where this came from, and I don't even know how to how to talk about it. You are in such like deer in the headlight place, like right. You were, and that's when you kind of showed up as magic for me because I think I had lived in such a haze and a fog of deep confusion for so long. And by the time you left that day, I had clarity for the first mm. time in years. Mm -hmm. And what you said is, Monica, why is imagery so personal to you? Like, where did that start? And then I told you the story of me as a kid underneath the it. stairs and going and looking at photographs growing up in the family of secrets and like the photographs had more truth to tell me than yes. my family's words and so it was like you were like that's it and I was like what's it and you were like Monica that's that's what's personal for you is actually yeah so let me uh, yeah. let me take it from here because yeah. th this is what's so poignant and I I want our audience to hear this because for me, that was the answer of this is where it began. When you told me your story, this is, I'm very visual. Uh, imagery is huge for me and I make it all up. I'm picturing this little girl going underneath the staircase. There's a door that she walks in, right? And she goes, now is sitting in this little space right? Under the staircase, I'm picturing, I can even smell the wood, right? It's an older home. That's what I'm imagining. And there's a box and she opens it up and she is starving for attention and to understand. And she starts pouring over these photos and I'm imagining most of them are black and white. Like, yes. That's and forbidden. Deep, right. And that's how deeply, like, I'm into your story now. Mm -hmm. And I'm listening and I'm, you're speaking to it so clearly. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, that is how she felt connected. It is where she started to be able to belong and make sense and witness. I was like, it's all there. And I'm like. You could have a V8. Like, there it is, Monica. There it is. That's where it started. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it was so profound. Mm -hmm. And also, just for me, imagining that little girl, right, like, piecing the puzzles together, mm -hmm. making sense out of her little girl years and her siblings and her parents and all the story. And it doesn't even matter, really, whether it was accurate or not. It gave you your story. Mm -hmm. It did. It did. Right? Like, right. Well, it anchored uh, me. Yes. It anchored me to some meaning. Because again, like we talk about what led me into the depression to begin with was this so disconnected. And then going back to your project too, and just seeing yourself in the photographs in your body, in like a place that I spent most of my life escaping from mm -hmm. that body because oh, it was too yeah. painful. Yeah. And so to actually feel something in that body and have it captured 
there was something shamanistic about that. It was almost like reclaiming those parts of ourselves that we don't get to experience because we're so fractured. You know, again, like in the societal conditioning, women and kind of like getting to this place. So back to kind of like you seeing your images, because part of the Revelation Project, as some of our participants know, well, all of our participants know, but some of our audience know, but most of you don't know, is that when somebody comes through the project, this piece of it, this particular workshop, they don't get to see themselves in the mirror. They don't get to see any of the photographs. In fact, we launch the photographs on Facebook. (laughs) On our platform, which has a big audience. You know, Facebook page and the participant or Andrea in this case was seeing them for the very first time at at the same time everybody else was. Yeah. And so there's kind of this like, oh, shit. And the reason it's designed that way. And again, this was very much part of kind of, again, the project informing me what it wanted. It wasn't, oh, like, yeah, I can sit over here and say, yes, I thought of it. But we also know that there's some kind of gift for me around just hearing stuff, you know, and knowing that there was something edgy about that, that was actually going to reveal, right, lingering fears, all of those ways in which women are so afraid and try to control and white knuckle everything. And it was like, let's take away the option to control any of it, actually. Yeah. And so what was it like to see your images? Oh, my God. So it's a great story. And I remember it like yesterday. So (laughs) I got a text saying, you know, you've been revealed, right? And so I went to my computer and my friend, Julia Mancini, who had done the project, literally called me as I was opening the images. And she was like, are you there? Have you seen them yet? And so she was witnessing me on the phone and I couldn't talk because everything caught in my throat. I mean, I start to well up in tears now. I'll just never forget seeing myself in the way and in the light of what, of how I had been wanting to be seen mm-hmm. by my, my tribe, my community, my family for years, and that it was captured So I'm like, Julie, I can barely talk right now. And she was like, yeah, just, they're amazing. Just keep looking. And so she really was kind of like there with me. It was really cool. It's so cool because then there's that witness who's witnessing you being witnessed. Yeah, it was (laughs) really amazing, the timing of that call and, and then me going through it. And then all of a sudden these comments just were literally bubbling up as I was looking and people that I'd been in leadership with and people that I had been in trainings with, you know, like, and their ability to witness me and hold me and my family. And yeah, it was, it was extraordinary. And what were some of the things they were saying? Because so this is the other piece about the publishing the album is that there's just so much love. There was so much acknowledgement of you know, both the vulnerability and, and the power, the 
some of the iconic images, like the one with the feathers in my hair. And it was like, towards the end of the shoot, I had brought all these feathers. I have feather fetish, nothing creepy, just love feathers. And, and it's like, I remember we were getting towards the end of the shoot and I was like, feathers, I must have feathers in my hair. And that's the image that I have hanging in my bathroom is, Mm -hmm. is that image of me with those feathers just spread out in a fan in my hair and, and what that symbolism means to me and feeling, feeling beautiful, feeling raw, feeling vulnerable and the seeing the strength in the vulnerability Mm-hmm. Right now, now this is where vulnerability starts to, to shift in its perception of, well, that's vulnerable, therefore I should never show up with that because that's a weakness. And that's where for me in those years where vulnerability for me became my greatest strength. It's mm-hmm. like it is in the vulnerability. It is. It is. Yeah. And so... I just got a lot of witnessing and acknowledgement around the strength and the beauty in my vulnerability. And also there was a lot of joy in that day. I did not have any fear. And fear is common going into these shoots for a lot of women, which I think is wonderful, by the way, because it brings more of that dare. For me, I didn't have fear. I was like, bring it. I was so ready. I was so excited about this. I was so ready to be witnessed in my more. And so for me, it was giving up control. I didn't have a fear around it, but it was, you know, it was the wardrobe. It was the makes. I don't want too much makeup or, you know, my hair, how is it going to look or, you know, any of that. It was more of that surface stuff, but also no control over what images were going to be. I didn't know what any of it would even look like. Mm -mm. So for me, it was like a trust fall. Yeah. It was like the whole arc of it, which was one of the things I had the greatest issue with in, in leadership and in coaching rooms was a trust, a simple trust fall. Yeah. Right. Well, really independent, right. You know, like, yeah. Yeah, the so, one woman show. Yeah, exactly. Right. Busting that myth up. So yeah, it was extraordinary. And so that's where I was pleading and begging and, and saying, I need to be a part of this. And where you saw such an opening for a deepening of the experience was not only in kind of a coming to the table with like, here's an idea for a pre-interview and a post-interview. And even though we had done interviews, right, they were digital and it wasn't like I wasn't walking women through or really coaching them around anything that they were starting to surface. Because of course, there's doing it. And I think where a lot of women are having these emotions and a lot of these emotions surface and they're new, right? To see yourself in this way, right? To actually see yourself as beautiful and be witnessed in a way that feels so vulnerable. It's almost like it opens a portal Mm. into you. And now you're raw, you're seeing stuff that you haven't seen before with this type of a workshop. And so I think for a lot of women and where you saw a huge opportunity was like, 
this is surfacing stuff, but like they can't process it, process it or, or like know it. what it is or deepen it or like anchor themselves in it, you know? And so to create some kind of lasting, a container, yeah, right? just, that just like a, a lasting experience, an impactful imprint, because what, what of course we want women in all of our work to do is to leave having recovered a layer of themselves, you know, and for different women, it's the whole enchilada that they yeah. reclaim. And for some, it's it's a big layer or a big piece. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so then it's interesting, Andrea, because you, I want to kind of go back to this piece about your love of self. And when, because again, you being that model for me, I'm curious. And of course, we were talking about Stacey, but... There's obviously lots of places along the way where you can relate to kind of the female experience in the world. And there was something about you that kind of got really clear about what you deserved. And there was an, I saw you honoring yourself in a different way that most women do. And so it showed up for me as very different. And you became a big teacher for me around that. Where mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? It's just so interesting because... You know, there's nature versus nurture, For uh, first of all. So it, it's interesting because in my childhood, there was a lot of joy and there was also a lot of struggle. Yeah. And ironically, in a family of eight siblings and two parents and oftentimes two dogs and, you know, it, it's like it was a very full house and yet there was some real loneliness for me. Benign neglect is the term that I'll use, meaning it wasn't intentional neglect. It's just you've got a lot of chaos and activity and it was easy to get lost in the shuffle. Yeah, get lost in the shuffle. And so you've heard me say this. So I want to say I think it began with this spiritual gift of this white light. So it was love. As a child. As a child. I didn't know that that's what it was, but it certainly protected me and made me feel. So for our listeners, tell us the first time it showed up. I can't. Okay. You I don't can't. Know. It was always, I, I can't. It feels I just, like it was always part for, of you. Yeah. I yeah. did not have this like sudden you know, epiphany or this happening where white light showed up. Ever since I can remember, it was there. Mm -hmm. Now, as I was struggling in elementary school, I have some visceral memories of, of leaning into that white light and knowing that it was there and understanding the power of it. But it was my protection. It was uh, imaginary friend, except it wasn't imaginary. It was white light. It was... God, goddess, right? Mm -hmm. But again, I didn't even have language for it, but I knew it was magic and I knew that it was love. I knew that it was good. Mm -hmm. You've always talked about this white light, yeah. And that it was real. So I was loved by something so much greater than human capacity, first of all right? That's yes. pretty wild. It's pretty wild. So that's telling me I'm lovable, even if I'm not feeling loved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's really interesting. Because I'm really listening to your question. And it's a hard one for me to answer. And then the, the other thing piece is, my mom 
she always lived on the sunny side of life. She was an optimist through and through, and I am too. I'm always going to find the glass, not just even half full, but overflowing, even when when the glass is cracked and the water is just spilling out. I'm like, but look, look at, look at, look at those cracks. Look at the beauty. Like, I'm just always going to go there. And how fortunate I am for that. And, and call it genetics, call it nurture. And I also had that shadow side where in my other family life with my biological father and stepmother, it was very challenging. Yeah. And it was very disruptive and it was traumatic. Yes. Right. So interesting, these two worlds I had, and I got to spend far more time, thankfully, with, with my mom and my dad, Reed, you know, so that was the greater influencer. Wow. You know, there's a gift. Well, and I also, I love kind of that your mom taught you that expression. Yes, you first after me. Yeah, you first after me. And that had and, a huge impact. Oh my gosh. Well, the funny thing about that is, you know, I didn't have my babies until my late 30s and 40, really. And mom used to say that all the time and I would hear it and kind of repeat it, but never really pause to think about what she was saying. And so what was she saying for our listeners, Andrea? She was Andrea? saying, yes, darling, you, you first, first. always, but after, after me. After me. And I never like stayed tuned in long enough to hear the like who taught after her me that part. I don't who know. taught her that. See, this, is, this is one of those questions. I have so many questions to ask mom that it's I so that I didn't get incredible to ask her because it's brilliant. rare and it's brilliant because because what I'm hearing in that statement is. Yes, honey, absolutely. There's no no in that statement. There's no denial I know. that you're first, but after me. So it's, it's like, it's, it's, so it's so brilliant. Incredible. I know. Because we think as women, here's the biggest misconception that women really miss, a lot of us, is this idea that we can't still give but give here first before we have the energy and the wellful to spill over to everybody else because we've got the giving thing down. I know. What we don't right. have is the receiving thing. And what I hear when your mom was saying that was like, I will get my wellful so that I can serve you to the best of my abilities. Yeah. And she did do that. I mean, like I said, you know, some people, you know, again, my siblings and I, we talk a lot about our family dynamic and the things that mom and dad did really well. And there was some benign neglect, like mom what, traveled with dad a lot. I don't know if any children, right, and not to minimize at all, but like that there's not trauma somewhere right. along the way. Except, right, exactly. And or or not maybe the best judgment or you know, who's taking care of us? Well, right. Oh my God. Miss foot is taking care of us. And, you know, she's chanting, you know, these shamanic songs. And for a, you know, 11 year old, you're a little like something, something's, something's not right here. Like it's right. like, I can't be with this. It's confusing. And you know, mom and dad are off wherever. They're and, like having martinis. <laughs> kind of oblivious. And with that being said, oh my gosh, there's so much more they did really well. And so 
the other thing is that that my mom and dad Reed fell deeply in love. Mm-hmm. And this is something interesting that mom did share with me years later when I was in the struggle of my own marriage is she said that when she and dad first got married, dad Reed, right? She had five kids, obviously another one on the way. He had three. And she said she was so insecure at first. And she'd be like, are you sure you're in on this with me? This, this marriage, are you sure? Like, are you right? Like me and all my five baggages? Yeah. Yeah. Do you love me? Like, and dad would say, yes, yes, I'm with you. And she said, this kept coming up. And she said, weeks were going by. And then finally, and my dad, Reed, is very gentle, by the way. My Mm -hmm. mom's more of the fierce, like, don't corner the cat, right? Mm -hmm. And dad is just, and I love that fierceness of her. She's also, oh my gosh, she loves to throw a party and she's fun. And and dad is that, that go steady, go slow, listen. I mean, he listened to all of us. He was the most amazing listener. So wise, so patient. So I love this story because she said, so I asked again and he finally said, and I can hear my dad saying this, damn it, Babs, I married you with five children, didn't I? Like enough. Mm -hmm. And so... I said, wow, mom. And because that's about as stern as dad, that's about as like fierce dad would ever talk. He was crazy about my mom. He was crazy about my mom. And I just loved it when she shared that with me because I could hear my dad call her Babs and kind of be like, you know, knock it off. Right. I married you with five kids. Like, is there anything more like we need to prove to each other? Like we're in this, we now have nine children, you know, or one on the way, eight kids, like I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Like the proof is in the pudding. It's the action. You can ask me all day long, but you've got to look. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Look. And let me tell you, they had, they were so brave. Those two starting their family in West Hartford you know, where people cared about the status. Divorce was not as well accepted. They wanted a pretty picture. You know, and mom and dad just persevered and be like, yup, here we are. Here we are. This is, this, this is, it's interesting. It's dynamic. Yep. Yep. It's, it's messy and it's like, we're going to figure it out and we're just going to keep going. Yeah. And they were so committed to that. So the other thing that they also modeled was, this love and they both loved all of us we all would feel that we were loved equally but they also didn't you tell me too that they had a very clear boundary around them spending time together yeah so that's what I oh hell yeah being really protective of their time together as well as generous with you kids but very like no but that's what I mean like mom traveled with dad mom and dad knew that they had to be rock solid. Yes. In order to hold the family. So they really were committed to that. Yeah. And they had fun. They had fun. I mean, they knew how to celebrate. They they knew how to rally everybody and make sure everybody's birthday was special and 
that was when they were able to take the time to focus and to just pour the love on and to have you feel really special. And so let me ask you, like, just I'm curious, too, about so was there kind of ever a time where you had your own kind of relationship to self-loathing? Oh, yeah. You did. Okay, so when was that? Well, that started at a very, very young age. So I'm just curious, like, when it shifted and why? Oh, I, you know. I love it when I ask you a question you can't answer because that's rare. Yeah, it's because I'm just thinking about the years of therapy and coaching (laughs) and the healing. And so, but there were definite life, like, where there's a crossroads and I had a choice. And so I will say I've always been a seeker. And you've always held, I think, a deep wisdom. Yes. I feel that that spiritual, you know, God, goddess, white light was always whispering in my ear. I've always been curious about people. I've always had a lot of empathy and compassion and a resilience, even when I was incredibly lonely, like I didn't go to the dark side. And I didn't go into the place of self loathing where I had the fear of not being good enough. And I, I worked very hard at being enough. Mm -hmm. And my way of doing that was to be fiercely independent, not burdened, not overly needy, at a very young age, I recognized that my neediness was not going to be met. Mm -hmm. Just wasn't possible. Mm -hmm. So I sucked it up and it turned into this resilience and ability to then serve other people so that I would then get the attention that I needed and wanted. Fascinating. So that was actually your strategy for getting your needs met was serving other people. And so because then I got to belong. Right. And then and then I also am hearing that there was a big shift when you and Kelly met in leadership and Kelly and you said, I'm sorry. And Kelly said, yeah, women always. Yeah. So let me just to wrap that piece up. That's what spawned codependence. So we're having a little right now, a little lesson around how codependence begins. Right. Because by me serving others. Ah, at the expense really of myself, because my needs were never met. I just was meeting other needs. And it was my way to get attention. But think about it. I still wasn't receiving. I was just belonging. Right. And and it was like, it was almost like you were hiding under like your actual real needs were hiding below the surface. And you were giving, giving, giving in order to get your needs met, but at your expense, which is interesting, right? Because we think of codependence as one thing, but once we start unpacking it, we can see it everywhere. Oh, everywhere. And because I can actually really relate to that. I had no, I had no boundaries. No boundaries. I had no, I was constantly just depleted, right? Just depleted. Yes. And, And I have a very strong constitution, which I got from my mother, by the way. And my biological father. And and so, you know, ever ready bunny here, I could just go and 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 go. I also had the gift of high emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. 
not a great student in school, not the academic brain, not the intellectual, right? But that was the other thing that I leaned in on. So I was very savvy at walking into a room and being able to read it and give it whatever it needed Mm -hmm. and give everyone what they needed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it, it was my way of surviving and it served me until it didn't. So then fast forward to a divorce and to now be in leadership. So the coaching rooms was shaking a lot out of me was shaking that out. And I was, I, I could see how much havoc it was wreaking in my life, truly, and what it was costing me. And then I was off to leadership. And that very first day, I got on this, this shuttle to take us to Mother Tree, outside of Marin County in Northern California. And I see an empty seat and there's Kelly sitting there. Didn't know it was Kelly yet. And I said, may I sit on that inside seat? Cause she was in the aisle and she said, sure. And I'm trying to shuffle by and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And she turns to me and she says, why do women say that? She's got this Texas accent. She's cute as a button, right? Why do women say that? And I'm like, say what? And she goes, sorry, why do we do that all the time? And I look at her and I said, you are so right. Sorry, no more. Boom. That was the beginning. I kid you not of sorry, no more. And Kelly and I ended up doing a, I think it was six minute or eight minute workshop on the topic of sorry, no more on a 40 foot tightrope off the ground with harnesses on, giving a little bit of a taste of leadership. Oh, MG to our audience below us talking about how sorrying ourselves impacts our life in a way that costs us our life. I mean, so I'm making up over here that actually that's what I was seeing was your sorry no more because you had been you had already been conceptualizing and kind of really processing all of that. And it was, it was literally showing up in your being, how you were being was so different from how I had been seeing women show up. And it was like that epiphany or that sorry, no more along with the leadership and the coaching and the healing and all of it. And I was also had a spiritual mentor. Yeah. I want to point to that as well, who I was also working with in all of, I mean, when I tell you, when I, when I left you my were like, marriage, go big or go home. I just, I went for all of it, anything that was available to me on yeah. so many, in so many different you dimensions. You were starving. I was starving. Yeah. I was slowly dying. Yeah. I really felt that way. And so you're right. I mean, that's, it was so rigorous and I was so all in. I mean, my spiritual mentor, Dai, has always said, you're different. You go towards the danger. What would be really scary, you want more. And I said, it's not that I'm not fearful, but it, I'm far more afraid of complacency, actually. Like that, I know that now that will kill me. Yeah, it like it actually. Well, and it's interesting because I think I think you and I both bond there. Oh, we're place. so absolutely. We because talk about it. Well, it's like I never, I never would like that. I had a taste of that, and that almost killed me. So I think that's where this piece of 
you know, really going toward seeking, seeking and, and digging and like going toward, even though there's the discomfort, discomfort or fear or the messy. Yeah. It's like, I, it it couldn't get any worse than it, than it had ever been. So So it was like a page turner. It's like metaphorically imagine reading a thriller and every page I turned when I started like with Daya and then like CTI and my, my coaches. Right. Like a book that you can't put down. Exactly. And I wanted more. Yeah. And I wanted more and I wanted more. Yeah. And it was, and I met it all with like, I am all in. Yeah. Have your way with me. Like I was so ready. And so, you know, and then take me to working with this whole, sorry, no more. It was like, oh my gosh, because I was as a child, my sisters will say, oh yeah, you were constantly chanting. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Take up too much space. Bump into somebody. Not I'm too say much, it right. Too needy. Too, too little. Like too much. Right. The whole thing. I'm sorry. Constantly apologizing. And it really flooded me. And it was like, wow. And I was so ready to change that story. Yeah. You know, so ready and so grateful for it all. Me too, because it's really, even though I had interfaced with so many people, I had done so much work myself. It was seeing you, meeting you, and you becoming then a model and a catalyst for me to know myself in a different way and a place where I was really ready to dig in because the piece that I was really missing it's like I was I had the whole like going out there to serve others down pat, but I still hadn't and even though I had said no, you know, to many things at that point in my life and had redesigned, what I still wasn't accessing was self love. Yeah. I didn't know how. I didn't know what it looked like. Yeah. I didn't know how to speak to myself lovingly. I didn't know how to witness myself. I didn't know how to, you know, I had like glimpses, right? It was really through you and your catalyst. And this is what's so great is what's kind of coming up for me. And this is what we're talking about constantly is like that doing this work as women, when we do our work, we don't realize how much we then model out in the world and make an impact on other women who are ready to also transform their lives. Right. Right. right? And so it's fascinating because what I'm hearing is that as you revealed your truth and you got more in touch with your truth, your truth was shining through you Mm. ended up touching my truth. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I started to get in touch with my truth. It's literally like, I I know Robin Jorgensen will talks about like ignite the next and, and it's that and I'm getting that imagery in a really interesting way right now where it's literally like the candle and like I you light my candle and then I go out in the world and I light her candle and it just becomes this, you know, like as long as we're we're in alignment with the truth of who we are, we're able to impact so many. Yeah, exactly. At that point, I didn't know that I was even having that impact on you you know, now, you know, now, well, in your sharing, and I think it's really important to be made aware of our impact. Oh, for right? sure. Because it's like, but meaning over the years, I've told you that you've yes, been a big piece for me. Absolutely. Yes. And, uh, but back then, 
I wasn't aware. Oh, I didn't and know I, either. Right? Yeah, it's just fascinating. And I think, you know, I'm so grateful, honestly, which is, you know, we talk about what are people's daily rituals. And I can say, if nothing else, the one thing that is with me every day that I practice is gratitude. Mm-hmm. Like, no kidding. Yeah. And I always say, you know, I am grateful for the obvious and disguised gifts in this day. Yeah. Because whatever shows up, it's like I have learned over and over that the disguised gift is going to be every bit as powerful and gifting in its torment, right? Yes. As the obvious gifts. Yeah. Right? Of where we can rest and lean in and enjoy. It's like there's no guarantee there's really we have no idea day to day none that it's all of it it's all of it that like to experience this life this revelation project it's the all of it yeah yeah and And non-attachment too is the other piece I think that's really important for me and and in understanding that as I'm feeling so so committed to to this this work that we're in together inside the project living the project right it's like because there are no like guarantees it's staying so present Mm -hmm. to what we're creating and what we're inviting and and the other piece is is that it gets to be in service of others and it it feeds me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean honestly it feeds me and it's like even when it gets you know confusing or challenging or you know what what's the hurdle at this time when we return to what's at the heart of it in these revelations right in revealing truth it's like, again, it always gives me air. Mm-hmm. It just yep. fills me up. I mean, that's the beauty of it. So I, you know, I have tremendous gratitude that I was given this tribe in my backyard because I was needing it. I was asking for it, actually. I was praying about it. I was very tired at this point. And I had to shut down these collaborations, right? And these potential projects that were abroad, that weren't in my backyard because it was messing with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it was too much. And so then you appeared, the project appeared. And what a r- wild ride it's been, right? Yeah. And just, you know, thank you. This, this has been such a cool interview. You know, again, like just, I feel so lucky too, you know, getting to work with you side by side all the time and then whenever we do kind of sit down and just ask each other questions it's always just never kind of gets old it's always so rich and I think that's because you know we talk about this like I think when you are someone who just continues to be willing to reveal 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 like whatever is here in this present moment it never gets old so thank you thank you for you know I'm getting a little like emotional because what's really cool about it if I can just say this and it's what you and I are are truly waking up to now with 
the project as it's growing and morphing into more is that it truly is about relationship and in our holding it together and how you have grown me and where I've, I've had the honor of witnessing you in your own healing and ability to meet me and to make room for me has been, I mean, talk about gratitude and fun, right? And laughter. And honestly, Monica, it's this recovery piece around when we do get into this, into an upset or but has a struggle or, yeah. or like, right? How you have really been such a huge teacher in, in the realest of ways in participating with me one-on-one in relationship, in friendship, where we are living the possibility of when you stay and, and trust yourself, right? And invite the other, if they can meet you like you do, you meet me. And where you challenge me, right? Like, are you going to stay? Are we going to get through this? When we get on the other side, it, it, it is so profound. Mm-hmm. It's so profound. And that we get to model that for our audience. And I just, you know, I really... I want I want to finish with this being able to say this to you is to acknowledge you in this is it just doesn't get any more meaningful than that. It's just such a gift. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So thank you for that from yeah. the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Yeah. Love you. I love you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.